This week's Major Spoilers podcast goes out to Eric Trevarthen, Charles Purcell, and Eric Anderson. I believe they were uh, Ric Flair's cronies in The Four Horsemen back in 1996, if I'm not mistaken. In any case, this show goes out to all y'all. The Major Spoilers podcast covers news, reviews, and of course, spoilers, and goes into details about the topics discussed. So if you haven't read, listened, or watched the items we talk about, you might want to come back later. I'm Matthew. I'm Rodrigo. And I'm Steven, and you're listening to the Major Spoilers Podcast, the podcast for pop culture and comic fans. In this issue, to giant trade or not to giant trade, Diana Prince's granny panties, the Silver Age comes to a close not with a bang, but with a quiet ahem. Life is like a hurricane, something mysterious for Bruce Wayne. Iron Maiden brings the pain, but please don't take it so badly, because Lord knows I'm to blame. And if I stayed here with you, girl, things just couldn't be the same, because I'm as free as a bird now, and the podcast is on the air. everyone welcome to this week's issue of the major spoilers podcast so glad that you could join us on this stormy day we are surrounded all of us surrounded by tornadic activity so should you hear this noise hey steve <laughs> you'll know that a storm is upon us yes our thoughts go out to everyone over in uh, joplin missouri uh, we'll th- we're thinking about you, and we are also thinking that uh, we don't want tornadoes here as well. Okay, let's get into some uh, fun activities this week. Got a lot of stuff to talk about, including Alan Moore and Kurt Swan's uh, Superman, Whatever Happened to the Man of Tomorrow story that closed out the Silver Age. We'll be talking about that later in the show. But first, let's get to some news. Got a couple of things that are going on on the website this week in and around comics and pop culture. Uh, Rocco's Modern Life is uh, arriving on DVD. Wonder Woman is seen without pants. Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles returns to comics. And the Asterisk 3D movie, Asterisk 3D movie, is headed our way. Let's spin the roulette wheel, Matthew. Listen to this groovy sound. Here it goes around and around. Red, green, black. Always bet on black. What are you, Wesley Snipes? Yes, black. Oh, hey, what, number what four. What I like most about it is, <laughs> is how, like, how just completely flat it, it ends. It's just like, dig, 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 All right. Uh, Asterix uh, 3D movie is on the way. I love this series out of French. French? France? France? French? Um, yes. From French. French. Them Frenchies, they, they made up this Asterix <laughs> and his brother Obelix and their cousin Apocalypse. Stories and, uh, of the Gauls are always good. And uh, what is it like? Seagulls? Uh, yes. Uh, about 20 volumes, I think. Ah! 20 plus volumes now that have, have come out. Tales of, the, of uh, uh, <laughs> these Viking characters battling the Romans. Now, they have had live action movies before. They've had 2D movies before. But now we're going to see some 3D movie action on the way. But not in the 3D that we all hate. No, we're talking about, you know, 3D models. 3-D graphics. And you it mean looks like pretty 3D, good. 3D rendering. Yes. 
Black Cars remember. and The Incredibles. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Rodrigo's Imaginary Girlfriend. This is what I like about this. We've found some uh, images on the internet that were scanned from a French magazine. <gasps> These look... Wow, they look just like you're looking at, at a page, although it's 3D rendered and not, uh, not 2D. Characters 3D. look exactly dead on. What do you think of these pictures, uh, Rodrigo? Have you ever read any asterisks? Is yeah. That a big, oh, yeah, we talked about that before, right? Your grandma yeah, loves, loves that character. Yeah, a lot. Yeah, it's, it's pretty well known in, in Mexico, that and uh, Tintin and some of the other comics that <laughs> get stonewalled up here get managed to get some play yeah. down there. In Mexico, isn't Asterix known as El Punctuato? <laughs> no, El Marco Punctuato. I always get that confused. My, my French is bad. Mm. Matthew, do you have a favorite um, uh, character or story out of this? My favorite Asterix, my favorite story about the guy named after the Shift 8 is uh, the one that takes place in Action Comics, where Superman goes back in time and meets a thinly veiled Asterix and Obelix and uh, his girlfriend Lipsticks. <laughs> and it's, it's you know, this very loving, weird, but loving tribute to it. And that's actually what led me to read it. But for me, that that story that went, what is what is this big fat guy and the little blonde guy all about? That will always be my favorite story, even though it's not officially an Asterix story. What about you, Rodrigo? Favorite? Um, I don't know. It's it's actually been a long time since I've read any of it. Um, I remember <laughs> they like punched Mark Anthony. Or oh something. yeah, a lot, a lot. Asterix and Cleopatra. Yeah, um, Asterix and versus Caesar. Asterix so then, versus you know whatever. I think, I think the one where they go to Egypt was yeah. was one of the better. Yeah, ones. that's Asterix and Cleopatra. That's my all time favorite mm -hmm. one. Love that one. That's one that I've seen actually in a live action, and I really really love how they've taken a lot of the cartoony elements from the comic book and incorporated them into this live action feature with lots of CGI, and it really really works good. If you haven't seen it, either one yeah. of you, I suggest doing it. Um, and the one with Gerard Depardieu. Yes. Gerard Depardieu. I like the fact that they look like, I can't remember the name of the company now, uh, the guys that do the Wallace and Gromit films. Oh, yeah, the Aardman animation. They, yeah. The Aardman animation, when they do like those animated, those clay figurines, mm -hmm. the images here look like animated clay figurines, mm -hmm. which I think is brilliant. It's an amazing take on the characters, and I think that it makes it makes the 3D 3D animation you know it makes it palatable in that it's not that freakish uncanny valley stuff that, yeah you know Steven unfortunately tin tin have you guys seen the trailer uh, to tin tin and the magical unicorn or whatever it is it is disturbing. that is scary and you know what else this actually looks better than that smurfs in real life lifeland that's coming up yeah which i'm not well, yeah i don't know Ugh. I, I, I really wish, and it's too bad that America hasn't embraced, you know, Tintin and Asterix like other countries have, because when you look at the list of films that have been made of the Asterix films, there have been uh, eight animated features. Uh, the ninth one, this, this new one that's coming out, Asterix in the Land of the Gods, that comes out in 2014. But there have been one, two, three, four live action movies and four incomplete films that never, you know, finished production. And that's pretty cool. So they really don't count. Well, probably the not. Mystery of the, <laughs> <laughs> the the mystery of the missing budget. 
Um, but I mean, you know, you're looking Asterix at a good dozen films, a good dozen films that have been made of these characters. And I would bet that very few people in the United States ah, yeah. have seen uh, have seen these films. You know who else a had a really, really, really long and storied career that Americans don't care about? James El Bond? Santo. <laughs> yeah. No. Seriously, you watch those Santo movies from like the 50s and 60s. It's just like, why don't we love this? But I don't who know is, why. Who is Santo? El Santo is the greatest luchador in the history of the world. He Forgive is. me for my accent, by the way. Yeah. Um, you you kind of have to love this, but... Uh, apparently, in the luchador tradition, to take off your mask is a great, great dishonor. And for like 35 years, this man wore his mask everywhere. Everywhere. And everywhere. And was like a national hero. And he did movies where he teamed up with Blue Demon and, and Mil Mascaras and all these other guys and fought, you know, mummies and robots and things. But vampire women. Yeah. And I want to say that. How come his, he only has like a white mask? Until he died. How come he's just wears a white mask when, and like Blue Demon has like one of those cool blue with the silver front mask? It's his his mask it's pretty plain. That's like that's like well, asking why Macho Man has stars on his trunks while Hulk Hogan wears long pants, you know? Right. Or why 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 would Superman wear a stupid ass on his chest? Yes, why yeah. would Superman wear a stupid ass on his chest? Why does Batman oh. wear Superman's costume with that so stupid this was hat? A, did he have a series of movies you said, Matthew? Yeah, he had a, a ser- several movies, and he was apparently, you know, just revered for literally years. And at one point, I believe he may have been the highest grossing uh, movie star in the world. Really? Of course, I, th- I think he passed away a few years ago. There's one that's actually not El Santo himself, but it's El Santo, Turkish Captain America, and another hero fighting off the evil machinations of Spider-Man. That, and I think it's called like Three Heroes or Three Champions, which is an absolutely wonderful movie, and I highly recommend it to anyone. Now, Rodrigo, this guy had to have been a national hero. Mm-hmm. It says here that he was born in 1917 and died in 1984. Yep. And debuted in the 1930s. Holy crap. Mm-hmm. <laughs> El Santo. Yeah, El just, Santo. just look through his filmography. It's pretty impressive. Yeah. Holy crap. Cow, that thing goes on and on and on and on. Yeah. He made dozens, if not hundreds, of movies. First film in 1958, Santo vs. the Evil Brain. Last film was Santo in Furia, the Karate Experts, in 1982. Yeah. At which point he was 70 years old. Yeah, he was. And still doing action movies. There was an animated series. Yeah, we'll have to check this out. This Mark this down, Rodrigo. This is something we'll have to talk about on a future podcast. <laughs> okay. Mark this down, everybody. Steven is almost interested in a wrestling discussion. Nah. <laughs> I, 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 do, I do think it's funny because, um, you know, to me, Steven's saying, like, who is this El Santo? We should talk about him. It's, it, it, it would be like somebody saying, who is this Spider-Man? <laughs> <laughs> Find out more about him now. Miss Brandt, coffee. Exactly. <laughs> Who is this Spiders man? And what about his friend Batty Man? What's that all about? <laughs> yep. All right, everybody. You can head over to the Majorspoilers.com website. You can check out more news, more reviews. You can even check out a retro review looking yeah. at this is this is an interesting story, not in the fact that it's a it's an annual that uh, DC put out in nineteen ninety nine, Elseworld's mm-hmm. eighty page giant. I mean, those were fairly common back in yep. the uh, late eighties and throughout the nineties. 
But the fact that they printed it, and before it got released to the public, DC recalled it and shredded every copy. Matthew, tell us yep. a little well, bit about that. Not every copy, but yeah, essentially, uh, once it, it went to print and it was on its way to the distributors, and uh, Paul Levitz, the publisher of DC, caught wind of it and looked at it and went, holy crap, we can't print this over the content of one of the stories. So they called him back, but apparently... A couple of thousand, I want to say, people are estimating around 2,000 copies had already made it to England. And if you know anything about the English people, they don't listen to you when you say give that back. Unless it's, you know, tea, and then you have to throw it in the harbor. That's a joke, folks. Anyway, some of those books had already been for sale in the United Kingdom. So a few of these books made it to the stands. They're really hard to find, and they're really expensive and ridiculously obnoxiously prone to being slabbed to where you can't read the damn things. But um, it's actually a very interesting story about whether or not something is worth shredding the book. Because for me, the issue that they actually, well, not issue, I guess. The story. The, the scenes that made them shred the book aren't nearly as disturbing as other scenes in the issue. And that's one of well, the fascinating Well, but I, things. the question, though, is this um, uh, repeatability. Will kids do this stuff? I mean, for years, right. kids would... Dawn, you know, put on a, a dish towel and jump off the roof and say, I'm Superman. Uh, yeah. But then, you know, when you talk about repeatable behavior and you read through the Super Baby story and you yeah. see Super Baby being put into a microwave, but you don't want, Super I certainly Baby wouldn't crawls want. into a microwave. Oh, okay. I certainly but wouldn't want my thing. son to see that and think, hey, I can put my brother in there and he'll emerge with superpowers. Uh-uh. Elseworlds 80-page giant has 10, 12 different stories in it. Right. Ask me which one has been reprinted. That one wasn't who, who did that one? That one. Who did that, that one? Was wasn't Kyle that a Baker? Uh, yeah, because he had a Kyle Baker collection just a few years ago that they reprinted it in, and everybody yeah, and was just like, "This is no big deal." Bizarro Comics. Uh, one of the other books, actually, I believe the Super Sons story was reprinted, but I can't find the Super Sons trade paperback to prove it exists. Hmm. So, uh, birthday gifts for Matthew, everyone. I can't believe that you Sons spent the money trade. that you did to get this this book, Matthew. I, I, I broke my don't spend more than $100 on a single comic rule. Man. Well, man, it's worth it. Oh, Maybe. man. All right, everybody. When we come back, we're going to get to some listener mail. Actually, why don't we do some listener mail now? I don't want to. Okay. When we come back, we'll do some listener mail. <laughs> How to get a major spoiler shout out. If you want to get a personalized shout out at the top of the show, all you have to do is the following steps. Number one, visit Majorspoilers.com. Two, Click on the Make a Donation button. Three, donate $10 or more to the cause. Four, sit back and relax and hear Matthew butcher your name and say something cute about you. Major spoilers, bringing the good stuff since 2006. Hi, Spoilerites. This is B.A. Williamson, author of the forthcoming comic book Geek Land Tales. Coming soon. When I'm not writing, I'm listening to Matthew, Steven, and Rodrigo three times a week, posting on the site daily as Brenton8090, and I can safely say, I am a spoilerite. I have jumped on board and made my monthly donation, and you have to ask yourself, if an unemployed comic book writer can do it, what's stopping you? Spoilerites unite! Jump on board with the monthly donation, and you too can be a spoilerite. Thank you. Thank you, thank you, thank you to everyone who has made a single donation, who gets those shout-outs at the top of the show, or the growing number of spoilerites who have uh, 
contributed to our monthly recurring donation. We really appreciate it. We'd really like more. And we hope that in the next month you will consider becoming a recurring donator, either a 2 5 or $10 a month. That's all. Very simple. Very easy to set up. And uh, again, we appreciate everyone who has done that. Uh, Dan Hunter sent us an email, Matthew. He writes, I've been trying to decide if any bumper editions of trades are worth getting, not due to the content, but due to the number of pages and binding quality. Dark Horse has listed the complete Star Wars movie saga trade with 600 plus pages, and my love for the original Marvel version of New Hope has me considering this purchase. What's putting me off is I've been stung before by bad binding, and not before and not before long, trades of these girths start to shed pages, like the living pages of the Necronomicon. What are your thoughts about these bumper trades? Are they a value for the money, or am I am I getting better off getting a smaller trade? I would never use a trade as a bumper because, for one thing, <laughs> I, I don't think it's safe. I drive a huge Chrysler, and you know you'd you'd have to use the like the life work of Jack Kirby. But Man, um, also, I got in this week this huge Mighty Thor Walt Simonson edition. This thing is massive. I can barely lift it up. It's got so many pages in it. Uh, yeah, but if you do this have thing started, if this did start falling apart, I would be extremely angry. Now, years ago, uh, in one of the first Invincible Omnibus editions, mm-hmm. they had some binding issues where the pages yes. were falling apart. And fortunately, Image said, hey, wait a minute, we are not going to ship these. And those didn't get out. But we've seen Telos, Rodrigo. Remember Telos? Those pages just started falling out when and it's very thin, thin book. Whoops. Rodrigo, I think you're muted. Okay. Yes. Hello. Hello. I didn't mute, I didn't mute myself. Unmute. Unmute. <laughs> um, Unmutual. Yeah. I think that um, there's there's two problems. One is that on a on a giganto trade or omnibus edition or bumper uh, edition, apparently as we are call, as all the cool kids are calling them now, all the um, British kids call them bumper editions. Yeah. I went and I got a new bumper edition just the other day. It was lovely. I bought it from Dick Van Dyke. He was busy sweeping <laughs> a chimney. Hello, hello. Uh, right, hello. All right, hello. Um, <laughs> And also, supercalifragilisticexpialidocious is a terribly painful social disease. Um, the other issue is just one of poor gluing and stapling and binding, and and that is not exclusive to the giant editions. Uh, no, it's you not. know the um, the old exalted comic, like people on the internet immediately after they got it were saying that it would just fall apart. Yeah. Right then and there, you know, through shipping, like not even, not even make it to their house without having the pages fall apart. So uh, honestly, your best, your best option is always to kind of look around and see if there are any issues with the issues that you're trying to find. If you get a giant omnibus edition, you have to know that it's only gonna, that it's mostly gonna be there for you to read every once in a while. Cause let's face it, you're not gonna get all the way through it all the time. And then mostly just to sit on your coffee table, I guess, to prevent it from floating away. And to impress your friends. Look at my giant book. See, I don't think my friends are gonna be impressed by giant books because none of my friends can read. Present <laughs> <Nice>. company only <laughs> half excluded. But there's also a question of practicality for me. I mean, 
yes, I would love to have, say, the entire fourth world or Grant Morrison's new X-Men run or, you know, something ridiculously simple that was 30, 40, 50 issues long, like the original uh, New Warriors Volume 1. I would like to have that in one big giant bumper compendium. But the problem comes into that, A, I'm, I'm then smacking down a hundred bucks for it. Yeah. B, I've got to store that enormous fricking book somewhere and my shelves are already, I mean, my shelves are like my knees. They creak and sometimes they come down and it brings hundreds of pounds of crap to the floor. But I think the biggest question for me is if I'm going to say bye Simonson's 106 issues or whatever the hell it is on Thor. Yeah. It may be more convenient for my reading purposes to have the four, you know, essential Walt Simonson trades than the big ass thick book. I, uh, I sat down with a, a Supreme trade paperback last night, Alan Moore's run on Supreme. Mm-hmm. And it was almost too big and too unwieldy to futz with, you know, 15, 16 issues. And I was having some issues with the binding coming apart as well. So Ugh, that's awful. You know, I hate that. If these, if this Simonson book starts to fall apart, I mean, it looks like the binding is good. It, yeah. You know, it's not like uh, it's just glue. You know, this is a hardbound book, so, you know, they're they're stitching it in. But, man, if this book starts coming apart, somebody is going to pay for but, that. Well, it ain't going to be me. There's not, necess- not necessarily any reason why it should if you're taking care of it. I mean, you still have your Frank Miller Daredevil omnibus. Yep. That yeah. thing is poss- probably even bigger. And Actually, I think this is, still... I think either, I'm going to have to look. I think this is the biggest omnibus that I have. Yeah. Drop them both from the Leaning Tower of Pisa and see what happens. Hopefully I think the feather will hit people. first. But yeah. more importantly, there's he also a question of, <laughs> yes, he did. He doesn't know anything about anything. He thinks El Santo is something you get at Taco Bell. Now, ooh, I had some El Santo today. It was so good with a little bit of salsa. But, the, the fact uh, of the matter is Taco Bell wouldn't be able to afford the rights of El Santo. That's very <laughs> true. I'm sure. But Marvel has to take into account a couple of questions. And, you know, if I'm going to collect a book that's that big, don't I need to make it as cheap as possible? And, you know, don't I like the American legal system or the people who feed lunches to our daughters and sons? Don't I need to pick the lowest bidder? Because, I mean, seriously, if you can put out that omnibus edition for $79.99 with cheaper glue, save yeah. people 20 bucks, and have, say, 10% of them fall apart, but sell more at $79.99, haven't you as Marvel, well, on a couple of levels, you've done better in terms of money, theoretically. But then there's also the question of, haven't you made that title that art that whatever it is that you're selling more accessible to people because it's cheaper even if it does come apart a little bit well but then you also uh, part of that though is you have to consider i'm sure that they have a percentage and they they have a a, you know an, an acceptable number of ones that they expect to fall apart but at the same time if word starts getting around stop buying these marvel books because they're going to fall apart in three months or dc or you know image or whatever People aren't going to be buying those books, and that's one thing that you don't want to happen. Yes, and just to be and, and just to be clear, we are not saying that the Thorwell Simons and Omnibus is falling apart. No, 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 no. By we are means, only no. using it as part of an illustration, but it's not falling apart, at least as far as we know. Not that I know. Let's see. Illustrations by Walt Simonson. Uh, uh, anyway, <laughs> do you see a lot of that happening at the store, Matthew? 
not at the store, mostly because Marvel shrink wraps a lot of their books, but we'll occasionally have someone, you know, bring back a thing and say, this fell apart and want their money back. And, and what do you do? That's a, well, that's a fine line to ride. The boss has been known to give them their money back, especially if in some cases like that, you know, it wasn't invincible, but there was something similar where the trades were coming apart and uh, the distributor made them or the publisher rather made them returnable. Hmm. Okay. So you could actually return them and get either get a new copy or get your money back as a retailer. So. so what's the better deal, though, for Dan? Go with the giant Omnibuy or go ahead and get the individual smaller collected? Because, you know, the Walt Simonson stuff has been collected in those Marvel Masterworks editions. Mm-hmm. What's, what's better? It's, it's a question that really only Dan can answer for himself. Dan will have to say self and his self will say, yes, Dan. And Dan will say, what should I do? Have a and bit of tea. Say, Stop talking like you're in a bad sitcom. This isn't an episode of Allo Allo. Now shut up. But once he stops talking like Billy Piper, I think you have to ask yourself, if there's a possibility of a big omnibus coming apart, there's honestly as much possibility of a smaller omnibus coming apart. Anything you buy, any book has a chance that there could be a bindery error, a printing error. You know, that Fantastic Four trade came out with no balloons on page 12. Mm -hmm. If you read the Infinite Crisis trades, there were things that were wrong. There was one trade that I still own where page 19 and page 20 were reprinted in reverse order. What? Yeah. I mean, these things happen. Yep. I would say that if it's worth it to have that big giant thing, maybe as a showpiece or maybe, you know, to have a book where your mom can say, well, what do you do with your comic book habit? You can go, look, mom, it's got a leather cover on it. <laughs> you know, that sort of thing you have to take into it. All right. <laughs> and and by go, the Dan. way, thanks. Thanks for writing in and letting Matthew do every voice that he in his in his uh, first of all, I have dozens more voices than this. Thank you very much. And before the end of the show, I'm sure we will hear them all. Those including are, his, however, my including his English. Alan, his famous Alan Moore voice. My Alan Moore voice sounds like this. Hello, I'm Alan Moore. <laughs> All right, let us get to some. Let us get to some reviews. Uh, Last week, DC Comics released Batman: Gates of Gotham number one by uh, Scott Snyder, art by Kyle Higgins. Um, This is a story that uh, goes back to the very dawn of Gotham City when it was being built up and uh, starting to figure out ways of uh, beating Metropolis. Uh, Deals with some of the founding families, of course, the Elliots, the Waynes. And the Cobblepots. And uh, the Gates of Gotham refers to these bridges that were built at the time. Let's see, what year is this? 1881. uh, That were supposed to bring uh, people into the city. And then we jump ahead to the future and someone is blowing them up. And it is up to uh, Dick Grayson to solve the crime. I have a question. Yes. I Ching is in this? Uh, not in this one, not in this particular issue. Now, Cassandra Kane does make an appearance in this issue. She stops in. Apparently she okay. was in, uh, she's in Batman Inc. She's one of the, uh, Batman's okay. operatives in China. But, but I Ching has appeared in Batman comics. Yeah. This was a couple of issues ago. Probably the last time I actually reviewed a Batman comic was probably the last time I read a Batman comic and I Ching was in there briefly. 
So, Denny O'Neill's I Ching, who taught Diana Prince Kung Fu back in 1970. He's actually been in, in a couple of uh, times. He was actually in Birds of Prey a couple of years ago, if I'm not mistaken. That's kind of cool. I didn't think they'd ever bring I Ching back. He wasn't done very well in the Batman story, which was probably why oh. I stopped reading the Batman story. Uh, which Did you, you know, just do a honestly, Stewie Griffin voice because that no, was kinda... no. Uh, actually, you know, uh, last this week was the first time that I've I've actually read Batman books in probably since Christmas. Well, maybe January. It's been several months since I've read Batman, Detective Comics, Red Robin, any of those things. And Gates of Gotham, it's a five issue miniseries, which means I'll probably finish it all the way through. But instantly, when you have someone, a mad bomber, blowing up. Gotham City landmarks, it reminds me of, and I cannot, and I didn't have time to go back. Actually, you can put into this. Stephen was too lazy to do his homework. Uh, there was a series, and I forget when it was done. It was either a Legends of the Dark Knight, which was a shame that they ever canceled that series, or it was another <laughs> book um, where someone was blowing up the modern buildings in Gotham to reveal the Gothic architecture. Do you remember that run, Matthew? That does sound vaguely familiar. I don't think it was called Gothic, but it was it was some mad bomber who was blowing no, up. No, it the, was it was it was called Gothic, and it was like the third or fourth uh, thing of uh, Legends of the Dark Knight back in ninety one or something, wasn't maybe it? Maybe it was. I, I don't remember. I don't think I, Batman maybe that Gothic one was. with art by um, that one guy, uh, Mike you Mignola. Mike Mignola. No, the other one. I don't know. Stewie Griffin. <laughs> Miguel Mignola. Yes, Miguel. Um, <laughs> and, and that's Santo? what this. <laughs> that's what this story kind of feels like. It Klaus, kind of feels like that. Klaus Jansen. Oh, okay. It kind of feels like that kind of a story. And if that's the way it's, I mean, obviously it's it's probably going to be better than that, where someone's actually going after the founding families. Um, but I wasn't overly impressed with the story. The art was okay. Uh, Kyle Higgins, I th- thought, delivered up some good art. Uh, I like how he's drawn the new Bat costume that Dick wears. Uh, it's kind of a mix between the movie Batman and, I don't know, I just like how the cape flows and how it's very black and dark and it goes with this story. Um, it's it's not too bad of a story. I'm probably going to continue it. Uh, I'm going to give it three and a half slices of meatloaf. Nice. Yeah, it's not bad. I mean, it's it's I worth reading if you like Batman. Not a, it's not in this one. Now he may appear in another issue or two, but I was told that uh, that surprise guest characters would be popping in and out throughout the series. So, is Roy Raymond in it? Not in this issue. This issue has um, has Dick Grayson, has Oswald Cobblepot. It's got uh, Commissioner Gordon, looking very frail and thin, but very cool at the same time. It's got uh, Red Robin, it has got Damien, and it's Yo. got Cassandra Kane. And then it's got somebody dressed up in some steampunk biohazard suit going after Tommy Elliot. So, it's all good. Cool. Yeah. Maybe it's Mr. Freeze. Maybe. Speaking Why of Mr. Freeze. <laughs> Speaking of Mr. Freeze. As I make a transition to Thunder Agents, number seven. How in God's name? <laughs> because that it makes you do that. Uh, stop antagonizing me. That's just mean. <laughs> but it's so much fun. Thunder Agents. No. 
seven from DC Comics. Two dollars and ninety nine cents for those of you who are penny pinching. Uh, those of you who are unaware of who the Thunder Agents are, go straight to Majorspoilers.com and look at our hero histories. Thunder Agents is a comic that has been off everyone's radar for about 25 years. And when DC brought it back, I was super hyped and super excited. And then the first issue came out and there was really no tie to what had gone before. And I kind of went, well, that's an interesting creative choice. And then three issues went by and then went by. And finally, a couple of issues ago, they actually touched on the continuity of the existing Thunder Agents book, which in a way, I think it's a masterstroke. This is issue seven, the first appearance of someone who was actually a major player in the old Thunder Agents book, the Iron Maiden. Not a prisoner, I will free me. Sorry, I was sidetracked there. Um, but for the last six issues, we have been privy to the thoughts of I can't remember her name, but she's a red-haired girl, and she works for Thunder, and it's her job to go out and find the disposable agents who become lightnings and dynamos and nomans, or no men, depending on how you pronounce it. And we see her on a plane flight, and she starts remembering her childhood and the things that happened when she was a kid, growing up in this little house. And the flashback sequences are drawn by Mike Grell whom you may remember from Green Arrow, the Longbow Hunters, from, you know, Warlord oh, yeah, before yeah. it's from Legion of Superheroes back in the 70s. Yeah. And Grell is doing just this beautiful thing where, you know, the the girl is a little tiny baby and she and her mom are in the kitchen and they're just, you know, making dinner and they're singing. And all of a sudden, the guy, a guy breaks into the house. Mother turns around and throws a knife through his throat, kills him instantly. The guy falls down and, and suddenly she's surrounded by thunder agents hmm. the thunder squad guys in the pixie boots and i'm like oh well this ought to be interesting and this tells us what finally happened with iron maiden and one of the original agents leonard brown dynamo and it's really touching the issue takes place over three time frames there's a section in the 80s which is drawn by grell there's the modern stuff and then there's a flashback to the 1960s with some really cool art. It kind of reminds me of a Darwin Cook kind of thing. Yeah. Where we see the last 1960s adventure of Dynamo, where Dynamo finally admits, and Iron Maiden admits to Dynamo that they do have feelings for one another. And the last part of the of the current series, of course, is uh, the girl, again, whose name escapes me. I apologize. I want to say her name is Maureen or Colleen. I'll mm-hmm. say Colleen. Okay. Pauline gets off her plane, gets in a car, and the guy is making small talks. Oh, what are you coming to town for? She's like, oh, the usual. See the sights. Relax. Kill my mother. Ah. It's very subtle. And I didn't catch it the first time I read through it. But the the have been reading about is the daughter of Dynamo and the Iron Maiden. Cool. Yeah, cool. Cool for me. It's also a well-done issue. There's, did I go away? My back? Oh, you did. I think the lightning's, yep. You're fine. Yeah. The sky opened up here about five minutes ago. So worst case scenario, but it's really well done. It's got characters, flashbacks to characters that 
don't exist anymore, or characters that we haven't seen. There's a really interesting bit where the 80s section of the book has a character in it. Now, if you know anything about the Thunder Agents, and if you don't, go to Majorspoilers.com. You know that in the 80s, they were published by six or seven different publishers because mm-hmm. it was mistakenly believed that they were in public domain. And some of the characters from those publishers don't really exist in the official DC continuity. Right. One of them seems to appear in these 80s flashbacks. Ooh. Which I think is actually kind of cool. A character who may or may not even exist shows up just kind of as a visual cue for the three people that listen. I really enjoyed this issue. I've enjoyed every issue of Thunder Agents to differing degrees. This is definitely a four-star book for me, four slices of meatloaf, simply because of what it does, but more importantly of what it doesn't. It doesn't have somebody, you know, dramatically finding out, oh, my God, Dynamo married Iron Maiden. Oh, my God. It tells it in the story. It doesn't, you know, come out and give us some big block of exposition. It gives us a really well-done flashback, a couple of them, actually. It shows rather than tells, which I really appreciate. Excellent. All right, let's jump ahead to, to comics coming out this week. DuckTales number one from Boom Studios, Rodrigo. Hello. Hello. Uh, yes, I read Disney's DuckTales, Rightful Ooh. Owners, Part One, Many Happy Returns, written by Warren Spector, uh, art by Lionel Castellani, Jose Massaroli, and Magic Eye Studios. Um, this is the first uh, DuckTales, original Ooh. DuckTales book, I think, that Boom has put out. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, on its kaboom line, right. which is cool. Um, and who knows how long that'll stay? Yeah, yeah. I mean, I mean, Ducktales at wanna, boom. Yeah, yeah. I, I mean, strangely enough, you know, we talk about the speculator market being gone. Like, this is a book that I might grab because who knows what all rights are going to happen here? As you know, Marvel tries to transition all their, pro- or Disney tries to transition its properties to Marvel. Mm-hmm. Um. So that'll be that'll be interesting to see, but um, back to the book. The what book? Um, say what now? What book was it? It's Disney's Ducktales: Rightful Ooh. Owners, Part One. Many happy returns. <laughs> um, in this book, we see Scrooge McDuck go through a museum of all the awesome stuff that he's gotten throughout his adventures. It's like, oh, look at this golden crown, and look at this golden coat, and Let's talk about this awesome story about how I got this gold nugget while I was in Alaska and all this other stuff, right? Uh, dinosaurs, also um, unicorns. And so as they're going, um, Webby, if you uh, remember Webby Gale, yeah, yeah. Um, she's, the, she's the girl Huey, Louie, and Dewey. <laughs> um, she she kind of starts to have a, a crisis of conscience. Really, she just goes straight up to the other side and says, well, isn't it wrong that Uncle Scrooge basically stole all this stuff, like swindled natives and did all this other stuff to get um, wow. all these prizes? Which is, I know, which is amazing because that has always kind of been my problem with the old DuckTales stuff. That Scrooge McDuck just goes around and basically steals stuff from the natives. He hoses people. Yeah, he totally does. He hoses entire populations of native ducks. Yep, or dogs. There are some of those, too. Or cats. Uh, 
Yeah. Well, um, screw the cats. The cats deserve it. Yeah, well, it, they but... had it coming. Um, now, another weird thing is that this realization and the way that she convinces Huey, Louie, Dewey, and Launchpad is by playing a game. <laughs> I'm sorry, that was just funny. Huey, Louie, Dewey, and Launchpad. <laughs> well, it's funny, too, because Launchpad is hanging out with all these kids, and they're all smarter than him. Um, hey, who's a perpetrator? But- Yep, Steven the, knows how that feels. The way <laughs> the way she convinces them is they're playing a game called Ducks and Danger. Um and she is behind a screen and she's narrating an adventure to them. So Webigail is running a game of D D, literally ah, in this case. Nice. Um, it's it's I, I was caught very much by surprise about the fact that this is not even a plot point. This is just as part of what they're doing as if they were out playing baseball and this, this dawned on them, you know? Um, (laughs) so that's, I think that's good. I think that helps the cause. Uh, Um, we also meet, well, we don't necessarily meet him, but for the purposes of, of the story arc meet, uh, Oh, what's his first name? Uh, Glomgold, Flintheart Glomgold. No, no, it's not Glomgold. It's, uh, the, the, the antagonist is being set up as, uh, Rocker Duck. Uh, oh. I think John D. Rocker Duck. Oh, yeah, yeah, is yeah. It? Yep, mm-hmm. John D. Rocker Duck. Yeah, we've seen him. A- I was pretty recently. sure it was John D. Cause that makes sense, but, uh, mm-hmm. I just wanted to make super sure. Yeah, he's, he's being set up in, in pretty much in the Glumgold way, except yeah. that, uh, I guess instead of like Rocker Duck's big, um, motivation is fame he wants to be really famous and gets mad at scrooge mcduck because he is more famous than him even though he's not trying nearly as hard to be that famous yeah and of course he is also massively rich but their big conflict is that rocker duck spends a lot of money on basically self-publicity and scrooge mcduck finds that completely objectionable because that why would you ever spend money on anything yeah (laughs) except possibly swindling native peoples out of more money but that um, means more money. That's good yes, money yeah, after I mean, bad. You're, you're, right yeah, you're investing there. Um, so he gets wind of what the nephews are planning and tries to beat Scrooge to the punch, which in the end pushes Scrooge to follow this path to, to go give those back. Um, meanwhile, there's some uh, gangsta cloak and dagger stuff going on in the background. Um, and we are set up to to believe that this is this whole thing is a big setup by Rocker Duck to get uh, to basically cheat Scrooge out of his fortune somehow. Um, we do see the Beagle Boys in the background. <laughs> um, they are probably going to play a part. Um, it's very interesting that Webigail has a very prominent. Um, part in this and mm-hmm. I assume that's going to continue um, whereas Huey, Louie and Dewey are largely kind of the same character they just get three word balloons each or one word balloon each like the same character gets three word balloons um, all in all this is pretty interesting I really like the art it's not and I really like it because it's not your DuckTales Disney house art you right. know, all of that art was all very similar and had a very specific look. This is a little bit more loose. And it's nice. It looks good. 
Um, it has its own attitude. You know, mm. obviously you recognize all the characters or such, mm-hmm. largely because of what color caps they're wearing, um, yeah. <laughs> which was the same way as back then. Yeah. Um, and, uh, I mean, it's, it's very nice. You, uh, it's, 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 it has its own style while still maintaining the characters as being very recognizable. Um, I'm going to give this. I'm going to give this four slices of meatloaf. I mean, it just the fact that they are addressing one of like one of the few actual problems with the Scrooge McDuck stories, which is that that whole like, you know, great white hunter kicking the natives in the shins. Yeah, it's really interesting. Excellent. We'll have to check that out. Now, this is an ongoing, right? Or is this a limited? I think this might be a limited. Yeah, No, this is an ongoing, ongoing. This is oh, an is original it? ongoing oh. comic book series, it says right here. So, very good. So, cool. yeah, rush out and get it, because, again, who knows what the deal is with this. And, I mean, I don't I, I don't mean to sow any uh, intrigue here, but I don't know. I mean, I was surprised to hear about a new DuckTales title coming out from Boom. Mm-hmm. And they may have it for a while longer. I mean, uh, I don't think any of the other Mickey Mouse stuff has gone over. Certainly, the Pixar stuff has gone over. Mm-hmm. Uh, but right now, the Mickey Mouse stuff, the the Disney afternoon properties are still with Boom. So, right. and then the Muppets go back over. Muppets to went. As well. Muppets went back I over. I believe to they did. Yeah. yeah. Cool. Well, you can check this out and many other reviews, including the Kirby Genesis Number Zero review, the twelve page. It's a twelve page book. It's used as a lead into the new Kirby Genesis series. That's uh, up Wait, on the site. Wait, what was that a review of, Rodrigo? Uh, this was Disney's Ducktales. Woo. <laughs> And many, many other books are there on MajorSpoilers.com. Hey, I got to entertain com. myself. Come on. All right, the reviews are done. That means it's time for... The oh, Major crap. Spoilers. <laughs> it's time. For the Major Spoilers. Men in Black, one of which is slightly whinier than the other, but depending on who you are, you may not be able to tell the difference. <gasps> Poll of the week, 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 week. I find your lack of votes most displeasing. <laughs> week, 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 week. So one of our Twitter followers, Zach Wolf, sent a tweet last week. Which, by the way, is an awesome name. Yeah, it is. Uh, Zach sent awesome. me a message and he said, Steven, I need to know who would win in a fight. Darth Vader or Neo, if they were able to use their powers, who would win in that fight? And I said, well, you know what? Tune in next week on the Major Spoilers podcast. So we bring it here to you, the listeners and the readers and our panelists. Matthew, Darth Vader in one side, Neo on the other, all have their full potential powers, the force and Neo power, whatever that is. Matrixy matrix power. Matrix power. Who's going to win that fight? Go. See, there are two problems that come into play here. And uncharacteristically, I accidentally read other people's answers before I started thinking about this. Mm -hmm. And the two threads of discussion are, how can this happen? Because Neo's powers are in the Matrix and Vader's are not. (coughs) And also, well, this is unfair because Darth Vader can't jack into the Matrix. Well, here's my thought process. (laughs) <laughs> Let's presume this takes place in the Matrix, okay? okay? Someone who says to me, well, Darth Vader's never planning that. The man's a freaking cyborg. He's 45% computer. I do not think it's going to be a big problem to jack into the Matrix for Anakin Skywiner, okay? So let's presume it takes place in the Matrix. Vader is plugged into the Matrix. Now, one of the 
few scenes in the Matrix that I clearly remember from the first Matrix film was Morpheus trying to explain to Neo that the Matrix acts differently for him because he believes. He jumps off the building and it has rubber sole down at the bottom, not Revolver, which was a better album. But all of the stuff that happens in the Matrix happens because Neo believes it can happen, right? Neo expects it can happen. Neo has a strong belief. Okay, now, Anakin Skywalker is a telepathic ninja with telekinetic powers. 45 years, this man has been dominating the galaxy with his telekinesis and his evil. So he's in the Matrix. If he's in the Matrix, I believe that his powers should still work because he explains, he expects them to, right? Right. So at which point the fight goes like this. Whoa, you're like totally crushing my windpipe. So I had to go with Vader. Okay. Now, I don't know. People keep talking about this this other movie that Vader appeared in. I don't know. Uh, you know, there are the three Star Wars movies, and nothing happened before that. So, you know, whatever you got going there. Rodrigo. Um, Actually, it's, it's weird because this poll really brought to my attention the fact that these are two guys whose powers are... Uh, stuff happens. <laughs> Um, which is fine. You know, the uh, Vader originally as a, as a villain gets, gets a lot of play out of that, which is nice. You know, you want your villain to be powerful. And, uh, Neo in the first movie doesn't, doesn't really, uh, crank up to full on indestructible protagonist until the very end, which is when you want that to happen. Um, and again, I keep hearing about these other two movies that may have happened, but as far as I'm concerned, uh, there's only <laughs> one matrix. Um, I would, you know, it, 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 it is difficult because, um, these guys are kind of both really ridiculous in their own way. And I was just, every time I think about that fight, I'm like, uh, that, like, this fight would go on exactly as long as the budget allowed. So I'm gonna, I'm gonna have to call a, like, I might call it for Neo only because I feel that in the back and forward necessary to make this uh, fight interesting, the money would run out at around the time when Neo comes back uh, in, into, uh, like, basically when the fight swings back his way. So I'm, I'm going to call it that just so I don't have to cop out and say it would be a draw when the studio shuts them down. <laughs> I went uh, I went with Darth Vader just because, you know, he's Darth Vader. He's all sorts of kick-ass. Not everybody agrees with uh, with me, though. Addicted to Double <laughs> A says, power-wise, it's got to be Neo in Matrix or out. Outside of the Matrix, Neo was able to shut down machines simply by concentrating. Vader is mostly machine, so it com- comes down to does force choke kill faster than Neo's weird EMP thing. Inside the ma- Matrix, force choke doesn't matter. Neo will just grow a new mouth below... Uh, the one, the area that uh, Vader is choking, Neo has unlimited power in the Matrix. Um, let's see. I have to say, this is from Chilladog72. I have to say it takes a certain amount of acting ability to be a whiny little crybaby. Neo doesn't have the chops for that. No! Whoa! He's voting for Neo. Uh, let's see. Anybody else that has a good one here? Oh, here's Andrew. He James. says... Vader would uh, would have to win every time, or at least be transported to the Matrix in order for Neo to even have a chance. What were you going to say, Matthew? 
James Deckard brings up a point that I can kind of get behind, and I'm also kind of, meh. What's the point of having Star Wars versus anybody? R2-D2 could probably beat Neo because of the <laughs> Legion of Star Wars lemmings. Yes. Now, first of all, we have to stop this nerd-on-nerd violence. The Star Wars lemmings are people, too. But it's also an interesting point to make in that, you know, I'm sure some people do vote as a popularity contest, but looking at the results... It's not as one-sided as the George Lucas people might have you think. 445 votes right now. Yeah. Vader lot leading votes. basically two to one, 67%, 33%. When I looked this morning, and usually these don't change this much. No. Huh? Vader was 80, 80 to 20 at around 200 votes. Yeah. it's uh... So, I mean, there's been some pretty big changes. And I think that, honestly, this is an awful lot like last week's episode. And I think what would happen is... Darth Vader's force powers would allow him to freeze the water, and that would kill Neo. But it's okay because it's okay to like both Darth Vader and Neo. Yeah, I was going to try to bring so the three-year-old on on this one, but he was uh, kind of preoccupied with all the storms today, so we didn't have a chance to well, sit down and, and discuss who Neo was. He knows who Darth Vader is. I don't yeah, know if he, he would comprehend the idea of the of Matrix. His, uh... Yes. Yeah, the, Comfort the Matrix zone for now. Is you don't want him watching the Matrix because no. then he's going to want to watch the Matrix too. No, and then you have to explain. You have to explain the disco bondage. Well, he already watches and, Caillou, so I mean, he can't watch anything too much suckier than that. Caillou does not dance naked with four hundred other people and dry hump women in a greasy mess. Okay, <laughs> okay. at least if he does, <laughs> I haven't seen that episode. You know, you know what's actually great about <laughs> the second Matrix movie is that literally the first half of the movie is basically a screwball comedy in which Neo and Trinity are trying to be alone so they can have sex. Yes. Like, and things keep and happening to prevent them from doing that. <laughs> that takes half the movie. All right, listeners, we want you to head over to the Majorspoilers.com website. Cast your vote. It'll be up there for the week, or you can go into the archives if you want to vote, although it doesn't matter. Polls close in a week when a new poll arises, and we will see who fights the next time. When we come back... We're going to be talking about whatever did happen to the man of tomorrow. Hey, major spoilers crew. This is JD. I live in Niagara Falls, New York. And, you know, I listen to a lot of podcasts, but your podcast is the only one whose theme I get stuck in my head. I'm walking around and I'm thinking to myself, the major spoilers podcast is on the air, on the air. I'm like, what the hell? That started last week. So I've been listening to your podcast for eight months now, I, I think. Um, I love your podcast because the three of you, as a panel, you give a, a really well-rounded view of the books. Your opinions are honest, and they're straightforward, and they're thorough. And even books that I'm not interested in reading, I just like listening to the reviews because it really gives me a sense of what it must be like to read the book. And there's books that I don't normally pick up that I will pick up on your recommendations. So, um, yeah, like I said, I listen to a lot of podcasts, but none are quite like yours. So, yeah, just go ahead. Keep doing what you're doing and don't change it, and I'll keep listening. All right, talk to you all later. Bye. Thank you, thank you, thank you so much. Yes, we will keep doing the things that we will do, and uh, we won't change it too much. Maybe we'll add this in every once in a while.
because it freaks Matthew out. He has something against chickens. I'm not quite sure what that means. But do you ever wake up in the middle of the night screaming and all you can hear is the major spoilers theme song in your head, Matthew? No, when I wake up in the middle of the night screaming, all I can hear is... (laughs) (laughs) Because it usually means I've just pulled my hose out of the machine and I'm not getting oxygen anymore. Wait, that's what she said. Uh, Yeah, sometimes that theme song does get stuck in my head. And, you know, people are more than welcome. We've had some other people uh, submit some different versions of the theme song. Um, we haven't done a contest for a new theme song in a while, but, uh, if someone found something that we all just absolutely adored and loved, it might make its way onto the show. My daughter actually, after the 300th issue extravaganza was running around singing the theme song for about three days until it was edged out by I'm a hoodie ninja from the Nissan commercial. Mm Mm-hmm. I'm a ninja. I'm a hoodie ninja. At which point I had to actually put her to sleep with a pillow. (laughs) oh thank goodness child protective services doesn't listen to this show but if they did i'm sure they would Uh be rushing to their phone right now to call the major spoilers hotline matthew that number is 785-727-1939 the major spoilers hotline and we do appreciate and enjoy all the phone calls that we get each and every week uh that we put on the show Okay, in, what was this, 1986, the Silver Age came to a close. Kind of, sort of. Kind of, sort of. In a tale written by Alan Moore, art by uh, Kurt Swan, we got to see the final tale of Superman, the Silver Age Superman, before John Byrne rebooted Superman like a month later, or a week later, or whenever it was. We are, of course, a month. We are, of course, talking about whatever happened to the man of tomorrow. And it clearly says in the opening pages, this is a what-if story. They're all imaginary. But then again, this aren't they all? This is an imaginary story, aren't yeah. they all? I love that line. Yeah. I think I quoted that line like three days ago on our website. You should oh, yeah. go and find it. Yeah. So this uh, tale takes place in like 1997, 10 years mm-hmm. after the quote-unquote death of Superman. And we've got uh, Fancy Pants Johnson showing up at uh, Lois Elliott's house <laughs> to do an interview. Tim Crane is his name. In 1994. <laughs> is it 94? I thought it was and 97. It's oh, 97. Yeah. I want to say one thing, and I'm, I, I had forgotten how gorgeous the combination of Kurt Swan and George Perez is. Yeah, it's great. Because from the very first panel, it's just like, oh, my God. There's one scene where Lois Lane is sitting with a cup of coffee and looking, and the Tim Crane is in the foreground, and she's kind of almost looking at the reader. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I'm just sitting here, and I'm like, oh, I kind of love her a little bit myself. Yeah, it's, it's really great, but, song. man, they did not know. I mean, uh, didn't... Uh Oh, uh, what's his name who did the art in uh, Watchmen? Didn't he also work on this as well? Gibbons? Yeah, Dave Gibbons. So. Did he work on this in any way at all? Okay, maybe not, because... I don't see any input No, Kurt Gibbons. Swan, uh, George Perez, Mort Weisinger, let's see. Uh, Kurt uh, Schaffenberger is the other one. Who did Schaffenberger the action, did the hicks on the action comics, action comics ones. Store. But, you know, yeah. there is definitely some influence here in their clothing and in some of the... Uh, Items used in panel that have a very watchman feel to it. Well, Alan Moore does his breakdowns in a very, very specific way, 
there's a chance that since this is about that same time, this story may have come from the same place. I know that mm. if you've ever seen Alan's script for a 23-page comic book, yeah, he'll give you 45 pages of script for a 23-page comic book, and he'll go panel by panel explaining what he wants to see in the book. Well, you know, in this book, it is kind of important for more to go into a lot of detail about what the reader needs to see, because some of it is very telling and gives a lot of good foreshadowing to what the final pa panel of this uh, two-issue uh, series is about. Um, yeah. But essentially, we flash back to 1986. Superman yeah. returns to Earth, and it turns out Bizarro is just maiming and killing people, and then commits suicide himself. Bizarro. Yeah, this and the, the logic is brilliant, because Bizarro is like, uh, your planet blow up by accident. Me blow up my planet on purpose. You alive, so me must be dead. It's, yeah, and kills himself I mean, with blue kryptonite. It, and it's a horrifying take. It's like, you know, when people talk about adult stories, it doesn't necessarily mean adult concepts. But this is like just a really terrifying worst case scenario of one of the goofiest villains of all time becoming a genocidal, homicidal lunatic, and then committing suicide in front of Superman's eyes. It's just so awful to watch. Well, but this is, this is kind of the cool part about this, is we're talking about the Silver Age Superman here, and the Silver Age mm -hmm. was full of the craziness. This is the Superman that flew through the sun to clean his cape. This is the Superman yep. that had the crazy Lex Luthor in the power suit. Uh, this, is the, this is the Lex Luthor that fought crazy villains like the Prankster. Is it the Trickster and the Toy Man? I mean, we get to see yep. all of Superman's villains, I guess major villains from the Silver Age, pop up in this book, and they get dispatched one by one. I mean, we get to see Clark Kent's yep. identity uh, destroyed by, yep. uh, the is it the Trickster and the Toy Man, when they Prankster send these little, and the toy man. Prankster and the Toy Man send these little toy Supermen to uh, WGBS, and they burn off uh, Clark's suit. And Matthew, while you said it's kind of horrifying what Bizarro has become, it's even more mm -hmm. horrifying when you realize that these two villains murdered Pete Ross. Yeah. Just to get and the identity the, of Superman. It's, uh, it's, you know, it's very clear that something is happening. And what I really enjoy are the things that are pure Silver Age moments, even though the story is going nuts. Superman can't believe it's Bizarro. And there's a point where Prankster and Toy Man are taunting him by a mm -hmm. radio through little toys. And Superman is just like, do you know what radio waves look like? I do. And of course, you know, Prankster's like, no, why? I do. And by the time they realize what's going on, Superman is there. It's, it's like watching adulthood. It's really kind of creepy to see that, you know, that adult mindset applied to Superman. But they're not... They're not blowing up everything. Well, they are blowing up everything about the Silver Age, but they're not denying that any of the silliness of the no, Silver yeah, Age yeah. happened. And that's, Rodrigo, kind of weigh in on that, because, I mean, this is a Silver Age. This is a Silver Age story, and we're wrapping up the Silver Age, and we've got some very serious things going on around some truly Silver Age comical-type villains and characters. Yeah, but, I mean, in that... I think to us seems comical in retrospect. I mean, this, this was comics back then. Right. You know, and probably it, it actually kind of sharpens that edge of it's like, well, these characters that are just completely ridiculous actually are 
people and they can be driven to the edge. You know, I mean, Superman is by the end of this, Superman is driven to the edge Mm -hmm. as well as basically all of his villains. Yeah. Um, Hilariously, uh, you know, what what we now think of as his greatest villain, uh, his job is primarily a uh, walking pedestal for a computer. Oh, my goodness. I got to, you know. Lex Luthor goes out and finds the remaining bit of Brainiac, the old uh, Silver Age Brainiac, and Brainiac essentially attacks him and attaches to his head, and Luthor is just, you know, walking around with this parasite on his head, and it's to the point that during the final battle, Lex Luthor dies, and... Brainiac just reanimates the corpse of Lex Luthor and it's like walking yeah. around and and I will continue to fight you, Superman. I can move these yeah. arms and limbs. It's creepy as all hell. That was the creepiest moment in this yeah. entire book for me. It reminded me a lot of uh, an image that was clearly derived or inspired by this from uh, the JLU animated series mm-hmm. with yeah. the Super oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. the mm-hmm. Luthor Brainiac hybrid. But yeah. The the thing that's really great is everything but the kitchen sink is in this issue. Pete Ross is in the issue. Metallo is in the issue. Cat Grant, Lois Lane. Everything that you know, or I shouldn't say you, everything that a comics reader of the 1980s knew about Superman for the last 35 years is in this issue. It's well, all there, I'm... but it doesn't feel crowded. Mm-mm, mm-mm, not at all. It it. It feels like it, you know, it's it's all there and it's done as a loving tribute, but it's not like, and then this happened, and then this happened, and this happened. Yeah. Well, and you know, there's it's, a it's, clear buildup. I'm sure that there are. There's probably a TV tropes page on Superman, you know, bits from from the Silver Age. But you know, when the Metallos attack, uh, oh, they're super dickery to begin with. Well, there's yeah. that too. When you when uh, the Metallos attack WGBS. I mean, Superman solves the problem in a very Silver Agey way. I'm going to rub the planet's ball until it magnetizes, and then I'm going to draw all of the metallos up to it. Dun 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 dun. But now we must escape, and we must flee to the Fortress of Solitude. Yeah, and that is the one scary moment for me when when, when Superman they actually. Flees? No, when they arrive at the fortress and everybody's mm-hmm. there and Perry and Lois and Lana and his friends are there and he he can't talk to anybody but Crypto and then the time bubble pops up. Yeah. And out walks the Legion of Superheroes drawn by Kurt Swan and I'm like, oh my God, something is horribly wrong. Well, you can see it in Superman's because, face. He's like, what are you doing here? Well, and then... The best part, of course, is when Invisible Kid and Brainiac and everybody are like, oh, look, we are your friends from your childhood. And also your dead cousin is with us. Mm-hmm. That, this at, is- at that point, I remember reading this for the first time and going, wait a minute, something is wrong. I feel dread from the moment the Legion appears because I'm like... This this is not right. Something. Why are they here? What is this? What is this about? And it feels like a momentous occasion where they're not telling him. And they they talk about it in the dialogue where they're not telling him something important. Well, and you would think that Superman would be smart enough to kind of figure this out for himself, especially when they present him with a trophy saying, "Oh, you know, well, we're just giving you this uh, token because." You know, because something well, big well, is about to happen. And he does happen. figure it out. He keeps he saying, does. guys, something's wrong. Why Why? Why is this happening? And right. they're like, you are great, man. You are yeah, super great. 
We wanted yeah, to come here and salute you. And he's like, and pay your last respects. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And even Brainiac has no comeback for that. Yeah, now, Brainiac is like, all right. Yeah, you're right. Of all the suspension of, of disbelief that we have to be going on with all the craziness that's goes in, going on with Superman, the one that bothered me the most in this was here's Brainiac and Superman having a conversation going, why did you bring my cousin here? Don't you know she's dead? She died years ago and I've been going through all this pain and grief and she's standing 15 feet away. Doesn't she have super hearing? She Couldn't does. she hear that entire conversation even if they're whispering? That's the thing that kind of kind of fell out awesome. for me. It's it's framed Possibly. nicely. It's laid out nicely. It's you know if this were a you know if this were as a movie, it's done very well. But all I kept thinking is she's twenty feet away. She can probably hear you guys whispering. It was a super whisper. It was yes. a super whisper <laughs> that only well, robots can hear. And it it may have been a situation where you know we. I, I don't think we're supposed to think that hard about it. And now that that's the first oh, no. time that you mentioned, it, I'm like, oh shit. Yeah. Oh, sorry. Oh darn about that. But <laughs> it, it Actually, may be something where, you know, super, super characters uh, don't listen unless they have to, because yeah, it's rude maybe. and they don't want to hear the, they don't want to hear the couple upstairs bagpiping all night long. Yeah. You know, the, one of the, like there was, there was a thing for me in here, which, you know, you start out with a, with a silver age story and, and they, you know, progressively darken it and, and things like that. But because of that, it kind of weirdly seems arbitrary. Like the little Superman toys running around and shooting his clothes off. Like, yeah. If this was an actual silver age story, then he would have used his super, I don't know, uh, chest thumping to basically he would thump his chest a couple times and the vibrations would cause all the little robots joints to fall apart before they could do any uh yeah. any damage right it would also leave the earth's core unscathed despite the fact that it was you know a couple megatons <laughs> of uh <laughs> he's just that good yep do, that's, do you gotta that's, say that's I, how bad I, I, I do like young supergirl Oh, Steve. She looks Don't cute. I like how she's drawn. I like that well, look. She's she's drawn by Kurt Swan. And if you if you go back and read, you know, these old stories, Kurt Swan is the man that really had to do this. If this if these pencils were by anyone else, it wouldn't have worked. And I think that probably more than half of the success of this story and the reason that this story carries is because this is the guy who made the Silver Age look like the Silver Age. Mm -hmm. Action Comics in 1967, you can pick up a random issue, and I'll guarantee you one out of three of them will have a Kurt Swan cover. So mm -hmm. to have these adult situations grafted onto Kurt Swan's art in this very Silver Age thing, I mean, it makes it feel kind of momentous. Right. Well, especially when you get, and I think this is, and I'm reading it in the trade, so I don't know if this was the last page of the uh, first issue or not. You get to that final page where Superman's crying because he knows yeah, that crypto you know, crypto is just lying there looking up. And the, the only thing on the page is he looked like he'd been crying. That's the end of, I want to say the action issue came first, but I may be wrong. That's uh, the end of action comics. Five eighty three, I think. No, no, it's that's a the end 420, of Superman. Superman 423 came out first. And I'm thinking that this has got to be, you know, that this is a good splash to end that issue. And I'm like, wow, what a powerful, 
here's Superman surrounded by some of his greatest triumphs in his trophy room. And yet he's, he breaks down and he's crying because he knows that the end is near and he's going to have to say goodbye. And then we immediately cut to the, to me, the most telling scene in the issue. And maybe it's just the way that my brain works. As soon as Lois introduced her husband, I was like, Hey, now wait a minute. This and is my husband, Jordan. Jordan Elliott. Jor-El? <laughs> but then we get... Now, the second issue, the second half of the collected trade, we get Kurt Schaffenberger, who was legendary for mostly, you know, Legion and Supergirl stories, inking over Kurt Swan. And oh, okay. It's a different, it's a different it kind of It is a different awesome. look, yeah. It's a different look, but it's a, it's, you know, a look that for me works almost better because, you know, as, as I said, the Kurt Swan stuff is the Silver Age and that George Perez art on the first half kind of almost distanced it a little bit. Mm-hmm. Again, they're both wonderful. Both issues are great. I read the original issue. How about Mark sure Stans from SNS Drugs? I'm awesome <laughs> like that. Rodrigo, what do you think of the, the art in these two? Um, I I, I mean, it definitely, it definitely does it for me because, because it is that old school art in, in a very adult thing. I mean, that's honestly, that's, that's where the punch to the gut came for me is what, you know, it was like, whatever, when I'd never read this before, uh, this before we, uh, before reviewing here, here, I mean, I read it before reviewing it for the podcast, but I'm saying I hadn't read it prior to that. Um, (laughs) so you know, reading it right now. What I, I think I was I was told when it came out at some point, and I was like, "Oh, well, it's probably going to be this kind of story." And then when I started looking at the art, I was like, "Oh, weird." I thought this was older, but I must have been mistaken. This probably came out in 1943 because I'm very bad at telling when things come out. <laughs> um, so I started reading it, and then when everything starts darkening up, I'm like, "Oh wow!" I honestly can't believe that just happened. Um, mm-hmm. I mean, I'm glad that somebody stuffed Pete Ross in a box, but that's only a personal <laughs> preference about the character. Um, so the art really, really kind of hits it home. It's like, uh, I mean, it's, it, it's like, a, it's like a sad song, like sad lyrics to a happy tune. You know, it, mm-hmm. it, it just makes it that much more poignant. Well, it's just, you know, you're talking about these the Silver Age goofiness with an adult theme. I mean, here's Perry and Superman sitting down to have a conversation, and Superman's just like, oh, my, my first love was always uh, Lana Lang, but now I'm in love with Lois, and I, I can't tell Lana. It's just, it's killing me. And she and Jimmy have decided to give themselves superpowers to go and help the villains that have amassed outside of the Fortress of Solitude. And she hears this. Yep. And she basically goes into it with, I ain't coming back from this fight. And yep. she and Jimmy go out with their powers and get killed. I mean, that's like, yeah. who are we going to kill in this issue? I mean, we've killed but, uh, Pete Ross. We've killed, you know, some of Superman's loved ones. We're, you know, we're killing off characters left and right. I mean, when you're talking about the last Superman story and when you're talking about making a clean break. From the Silver Age to what John Byrne was going to introduce, man, what better way to do it? But it's telling to me that the final battle isn't about Lex Luthor. 
Lana yeah. gets in the shot that kills Lex Luthor. Yeah. Lana Lang breaks Luthor's neck because Luthor comes to his senses long enough to tell her, you know, that he's kill possessed, me. that, you know, he can't come, kill me, kill me. And I love that, you know, that tie into them growing up in Smallville together. This was, you know, before the voice of the Flash and Chun Li were doing mm-hmm. it on that, that one show, you know, mm-hmm. I don't remember. I've only seen like one episode, but <laughs> the, the really fascinating thing about it for me is how, you know, Perry White and his wife are arguing. I do love right. the fact that Vartox is in this. Yes, I was going to ask if that's who that second. was. He's in one frame. Uh, tr- there's all of the uh, all the heroes have uh, tried to help Superman, but the villains have erected a impenetrable shield around the Fortress of Solitude with the heroes on the outside. Yeah. And there is. I was going to ask you if that was Vartox on the outside trying to get the way Sean in. Connor. And I love this. It says, uh, with Twilight, other heroes began arriving outside the the barrier. Those that were his friends, and so we see Batman and Robin, those that were Mm -hmm. almost his rivals, and then we see like Shazam and Vartox, and those that might have been his lovers, and there's Wonder Woman pounding at it, too. It didn't matter. None of them could penetrate it. Oh, is that who that what was? I, love I couldn't this, figure out who yeah, that was. Okay. Superwoman, Captain Marvel, Wonder Woman, and Vartox are hammering on this. And down in the lower right-hand corner, Jason Todd's got a stick. <laughs> He's in there with a stick. I love <laughs> Captain Marvel can't break through this penetration. He's not going to break through the force field. But by God, Jason Todd has a stick. Uh, yeah. Ah, with a stick? <laughs> but that this and Alan Moore is the only person who made me like uh, Jason Todd because this and For the Man Who Have Everything have that moment where Jason Todd is like, I'm a superhero. I'm going to hit things with a stick. Not to mention the fact that he has no pants on in the frozen Arctic wasteland. <laughs> in the frozen yeah, Arctic wasteland. that's a good one, too. We continue yeah. to see more characters die. I mean, the kryptonite man dies at the hands of Crypto, who also dies from kryptonite oh. poisoning. He doesn't just die. He gets his throat ripped out by Crypto. Yes. That that sequence is just really, really amazing to me. That's that's like Crypto's last stand. That explains, yeah, that actually, the, to me, that makes up for the Space Canine Patrol agents. When, you know, <laughs> why would you have, why would Superman have a superpowered dog? Why would you ever want a superpowered dog? For those moments when you need something savage and inhuman that just knows someone needs to be bitten and does not care that whoever gets bitten is going to die. That moment for me really redeemed the concept of crypto. And then crypto howls and keels over. And I kind of tear up a little bit. Crypto dying for me is like one of those last nails in the coffin of silver age DC. Did the, did the Legion, and either one of you can answer this, did the Legion yeah. of Supervillains, I mean, they needed to be in here uh, yes. for many reasons, but they're just kind of like, they come off as like the Three oh, Stooges. Yeah. They really the come Legion off as the of Three Stooges. It, well, it's complicated because you know that the Legion showed up as Superboy's friends. Right. The Legion of Supervillains actually first showed up as grown-up villains attacking superman Mm -hmm. and you know in the silver age they were pretty scary all together and i i like the moment that you know they're like oh we we fried your girlfriend right superman is like oh superman loses it and snaps 
And, you know, these quintessential Silver Age villains actually realize how incredibly outmatched they are yeah. and run like hell. <laughs> ah, run! He's going to get us! Ah! Let's make a break for it, boys! Yeah, it's Lightning Lord and Saturn Queen and Brave Sir Robin, and they get the hell out of Dodge. So they can fight another day. Rodrigo, we get to the end of the story. Luthor is dead. Brainiac is dead. The Legion of Supervillains are gone. Kryptonite Man is gone. Metallo has been defeated. Prankster and Toy Man have been gone. Who else is left? Bizarro is gone. Who else is left for Superman to fight? But perhaps his greatest villain. And we get the big reveal. And what is this reaction, Rodrigo? Uh, It's conduit. It wasn't conduit. (laughs) Those of you who think that, okay, don't be mean to Rodrigo. He grew up in the 90s. He doesn't know. It wasn't conduit. It was clearly Dr. Decibel. No, wait. Now, it's uh, Mr. Mixius Pitalik is the one who has been orchestrating everything. Using his magic. What a shocking reveal. Yes, so would you say, why would lovable prankster little Mr. Mixus Pitalik do this? Why would he do that? Yeah. Well, for 2,000 yeah, years, I sat around do doing nothing. And then 2,000 years, I spent being good. Now I'm going to spend the next 2,000 years being evil. And then the line that gives me chills. Did you honestly believe a fifth dimensional sorcerer would resemble a funny man in a derby hat? As he transforms into this weird five-dimensional monstrosity. Now, isn't um, when, uh, what was it, JSA or JLA, Johnny Thunder, mm-hmm. Johnny, yeah, is it Johnny Thunder? Yeah. He's the one that had the the imp in the Johnny pen. Thunder and then JJ Thunder, yeah. Okay. Is that how the imps are drawn? Is that, isn't that how kind of... His, uh, I don't remember. If it is, it's obviously an homage to this issue. Because I, I thought the Golden well, Age or the Silver Age Johnny yeah, Thunder have... was his dead brother, but it turned out it was Uh-oh. really one of these imp, imp creatures from the fifth dimension. Uh, that reveal wasn't until like 20 years later when Jeff oh, Jones okay. was writing JSA. Oh, okay. So well, that if, it, if that is, and I can't say for sure if he looked like that intentionally, but if it was, it was definitely a callback to this story. Giant, scary imp monster. Superman I will standing in the way. You. Only the thing standing between the death of Lois you are Lane. Going to fall. Oh yeah, look at this uh, statue that I've been carrying around for an issue and a half. Hey, what's that? What's that I'm holding? I don't know, Superman, says Lois. Maybe it's a clue. <laughs> That's probably how she should have said it. Instead of saying, Raggy, I don't know, maybe, maybe there's a clue in there sir, somewhere, Superman. Maybe she should have said, I don't know, maybe it's a clue, you moron. <laughs> it is a We're, clue, because the statue is holding a Phantom Zone projector. Phantom Zone projector. We do get to see uh, Zod and Ursa and uh, Nan uh, for a brief moment. Looking through the Phantom okay, Zone window. All, no. <laughs> that, oh, I'm sorry. It's uh, Wyatt Earp. It's Wyatt Earp, uh, Girly Girl, and um, who's that? That looks like uh, the, the evil version of Matthew. is, in fact, Zod. I'm pretty sure that that's Quexel with him. Oh, and okay. I, if I'm not mistaken, her name is like Nuala or something. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. But yeah. no, it is not Ursa and not. I, I like how... 
even though they don't have any color, you can still tell that the guy in the center isn't wearing any pants. (laughs) (laughs) I didn't notice that until just now. Thank you, Rodrigo. And then... Uh, Mixiel's Pitalik doesn't like the fact that he might be zapped into the uh, Phantom Zone, but uh, he decides to skedaddle, and just at the minute he's disappearing... Just at the minute he's disappearing, Superman zaps him with the Phantom Zone projector, so half of him goes to the Phantom Zone, and half of him goes to uh, Dimension 5. There's no way Mixiel's Pitalik is ever coming back, and Superman reveals, I wanted him to die, and I did it. I killed him. him. And then he does the only thing that Superman can. This this kind of reminds me of, you, you guys watch Doctor Who, right? Uh, I've heard of that show. You remember? Yeah. In season five, there's this moment where the 11th doctor is trying to figure out how to do something. And he's like, okay, I can let thousands of people die or I can kill this innocent creature. And then I go off and I find something else to do. And I can't call myself the doctor because I'm not the doctor anymore. Mm-hmm. That's this moment. This is Superman's moment. He cannot. He intentionally killed and thus he cannot, will not be Superman any longer. Right. Mm-hmm. So he's going to do the only thing that he can do, go into his gold reserve and the count his money. Gold kryptonite. Gold See, kryptonite, kryptonite does kryptonite. what? Green kryptonite weakens Green kryptonite Superman. poisons him, right? Red, Red kryptonite, kryptonite has makes him crazy in the effects. hoo-ha, right? Blue kryptonite kills Bizarros. Jewel kryptonite uh, gives superpowers of kryptonians to non-kryptonians. That's how um, Streaky the Supercat got his powers. Gold kryptonite, and it's funny because gold kryptonite had been around forever, and they kept telling us what it did, but we never saw it do it before mm-hmm. this very moment. Mm-hmm. Gold kryptonite permanently and irrevocably removes Kryptonian superpowers. What's the kryptonite that instantly kills Superman? I thought that that was the gold kryptonite. No, gold kryptonite removes your superpowers forever. Oh, Okay. I don't know. I don't know that there's one that instantly kills. Probably the green kryptonite is the closest stuff. Silver kryptonite, I think, was a April Fool's gag, and yellow kryptonite was a joke. And I, I believe that raspberry cream kryptonite is a mm, French got dessert. that nougaty, nougaty filling. Mm. The the bacon cheese kryptonite is really bad for your legs, but you know it's not bad. I rather enjoy it. Uh, I was reading up here. Let's see. Are you wicking? Yeah. Oh, okay. Um, that's the other thing. Pre-crisis, what we're... Well, this is actually post-crisis, this story. Uh, pre-crisis, gold kryptonite permanently removes powers from Kryptonians. Post-crisis, mm-hmm. most recently in Action Comics Annual number 11, Metallo mentions that the modern age gold kryptonite only temporarily removes Krypton- Kryptonian powers and it wears off. Uh, well, black dumb. kryptonite that was introduced <laughs> in Smallville. White kryptonite kills all plant life. Silver kryptonite, Smallville episode. Orange kryptonite gives super animalian powers. Jewel kryptonite, anti kryptonite. Mm-hmm. X kryptonite, slow <laughs> Franklin kryptonite. <laughs> Franklin H kryptonite. <laughs> I could have swore that there was one that killed instantly, but I guess not. Jefferson Starship Kryptonite? Yes. <laughs> so Superman goes in and uh, goes into the gold room. 
and all of his friends show up and see the death and destruction, and all they do is find Lois Lane curled up outside the gold kryptonite room, crying. And then when they go inside, no Superman. (laughs) But apparently, she does get the Academy Award for that scene. (laughs) You loved me. (laughs) You really, really loved me. Uh, They go inside and they find out that there was a tunnel to the outside. Superman has disappeared, probably because he had no superpowers. Like Jason Todd, he would have frozen to death in the cold wastes. (laughs) Yeah. They never found his body. Have you met my husband, Jordy? And uh, our son, Jonathan? He's got that little spit curl that is very uh, familiar. Well, we don't know where that came from. I'm sorry. I've got to get back to the uh, Daily Planet and finish up writing up my story about the 10th anniversary of uh, Superman's death. Uh, I'm sorry. I'm not a very good reporter. I didn't actually ask any penetrating or probing questions. I just took your word for it. Good night. (laughs) And and I uh, love Lois. Lois gives us the first real hint, other than Jordy Elliott. Well, a lot of people might like to believe that Superman's still alive, but as far as I'm concerned, he's dead, dead, dead. I was there. I seen it. See? Yeah. And then we see uh, little Jordan. I mean, what great parenting. They let, they let their kid go around and start picking up lumps of coal, and by all looks of it, it looks like the kid tried eating it. what year is it that they have lumps of coal in the living room? It's 1997. 1997. <laughs> Look at that car. I know, that right? Car, that car looks like somebody took, a, like, it's like the love child between a hearse and a stapler. <laughs> yes. It looks like a gremlin had sex with a stapler is what it looks like. It's messed up. We but see then, of that, course, uh, the last... Yeah, we see, uh, we see Jordan uh, or Jonathan uh, crush some coal into a diamond and then... Lois is like, well, why don't we put the baby to bed and get some wine and have our own little party? But, you know, Jordy is like, Superman was all overrated. He thought the world couldn't get along without him. And Lois is like, hey, uh, why don't we go have some super sex now that we can? And as <laughs> he's closing the door, the last panel is Jordy looking at the camera with the Kurt Swan wink. Yep. That Silver Age, everything's going to be okay wink. And it's very clear. Yeah, I'm, I'm not going to spoiler it for you, but we know who Jordan Elliot. Jordan Elliot. Jor-el-iot is. Yes. Yeah. Uh, we're going to take a listen it's- to this, and when we come back, we're going to give uh, some final thoughts about uh, about this uh, series. Hey, Major Conduit. This is uh, Jason from Los Angeles, Jawman on the forums. I'm here calling about whatever happened to the man of tomorrow, Alan Moore's ending of Superman. Excellent Kurt Swan pencils. You know, I got to tell you, even though this thing was made in 1986, like three years after I was born, I only just read it for the first time 10 years ago, it still stands up. Yeah, there's some stuff about it that comes off as retro. There's some stuff about it that comes off as silly. But even today, I feel the story, the main points have stood up. There are some epic moments. You have the death of crypto. Oops, spoiler there. Don't want to, uh, you know, give too many spoilers away, but I love the ending that Alan Moore put to this cap of Superman. You can kind of like saying goodbye to the classic Superman and the great reveal at the end of who Superman's true enemy just really is. It's a, it's one of those great Superman stories. I hold it up as one of my favorite Superman stories of all time. It's a good finite ending to a character that, will continue to be published, serialized in issues forever and forever and forever. And 
whatever happened to the man tomorrow by Alan Moore, you know, if I were to rate it, you know, I'd say uh, probably four and a half slices of meatloaf. It's pretty high up on my list. Thanks a lot for all the work you guys do. Excellent work on that podcast and the website. Keep it going, guys. Larry King here. They talk about Superman. What happened to the man of tomorrow by Alan Moore, Kurt Swan, and George Perez. Now, this story is one of my favorite Superman stories of all time, but over the years, it's lost its luster especially after they had tried to adapt it in Superman Returns and launched a new series of movies with the last Superman story being the forerunner. Uh, just a bad idea. And then also you had Jeff Loeb trying to, you know, bring this back into uh, continuity by using the Superman from whatever happened Man tomorrow. And it just, it, it just didn't work. It's lost its luster for me, but it still gets like four slices of garlic stuffed meatloaf. Uh... But over the years, like I said, it still holds up. But people just seem like to break, try to you know break it down, you know, just like it would be like the spine of Lex Luthor breaking it down, so Brainiac can pilot it around. Okay, Larry King signing off here. All right, so there you go. Thank you for those comments. Um, you know, I gotta say, this is. This is a to me an awesome, awesome tale. I mean, yes, supposedly it's imaginary. It's this what if what if tale. I like that they actually wrote this in mind with uh closing out the Silver Age and rebooting Superman in the Burn era. Uh I really liked everything about it. Now, as Larry King said, maybe there are some things that have kind of spilled over. I mean, we saw an attempt to do whatever happened to the Dark Knight or whatever that two-parter was um i don't think that, you know they were trying to play up on that gimmick that didn't i don't think quite worked as well um man i loved everything about this this story even years later reading it again um great art great characters great uh, just great everything i'm giving it a big thumbs up matthew what are you, what are some of your thoughts overall thoughts my first Superman issue that I recall reading was the one where Superman was fighting a sand creature who had stolen half his powers. And I later found out that this was an attempt to modernize him. But around the time of the crisis on infinite earth, I was reading every comic book I could get my hands on. Mm -hmm. And, you know, as with anything, there was a lot of junk food in there and it was still right. all awesome to me. But even years later, I remember this as clearly meaning something else, being something different. I will tell you right now, if you haven't read this story, you need to read this story. If, you, if you're a comic book reader, this is a very clear, easy way to read something. doesn't require you to know about the Silver Age, but I think it tells you what you need to know about the Silver Age of comics, oh, yeah. even if you're like... That's all that old stuff. Like Rodrigo is like, you know, it's with a wall of text. This is crap. You know, <laughs> you can have that. But when you read this, I think you will understand. There's enough universality here that you can read this and go, okay, I can see what this was all about. And I remember there being a big deal. I was bothered by the fact that, do you remember uh, Who's Who in the DC Universe? Yeah. When that was coming out, they were putting together little, you know, binary or biographies binaries what the hell is wrong with me uh biographies one zero zero matthew malfunction one zero 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 one i like pie um you get to a point where 
they're talking about everybody. And the Crisis on Infinite Earths happens halfway through Who's Who. So you get to the S's in issue 20, and there's like Superman 1, and they tell you about the Earth 2 Superman and, you know, mm -hmm. all the things that happened in 1938. And then Superman 2 starts telling you about John Byrne's revamp. Right. And at no point do they admit to the existence of any time period between 1949 and 1986. Mm -hmm. It's as if, you know, these stories, this character never happened. So I'm glad that they were able to take this and, you know, say a loving tribute, no matter how goofy it was, no matter how many times you see oh. Candor, the bottle city of Candor or Brainiac, you know, showing up with short pants. All I want is a decent <laughs> pair of pants. You know, everything that's wrong with the Silver Age is wrong in a way that you can still go, dang, that was pretty awesome. Yeah. So for me, this is this is more than just, you know, this is more than just, hey, here's a watershed and now the Silver Age is over and dun, dun, dun. This is, here's everything that I love about these stories. But it's also the beginning of new kinds of stories, new stories that we want to tell, a new kind of storytelling that will eventually crush and destroy everything you love and give you, you know, venom. But, you know, for what it is, it's really pretty awesome. It's a Rodrigo said it best. This is clearly that, you know, it's neither fish nor fowl. It's a Silver Age story and the first Modern Age story. There's chocolate and peanut butter, and it's all squished together, and it's two great tastes that really work well. Rodrigo, wrap it up for us. I think what is probably what is most amazing about this story is the fact that you see something here that you will probably never see again for a long, long time, which is a publisher saying, by the way, guys, we're going to totally change this character. So for those of you who want to jump out now, here's the station. Like, this is basically a book saying, eventually Superman's going to have a mullet. Here's where you get off. <laughs> um, and, and, and that's, 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 that's what's most amazing about it. Um, other than that, it's, it's a strong story. It holds up. And, you know, I would probably, if you're not familiar with Superman at all, but you want to read this story, I would have you listen to the, uh, Super Future Friends podcast for a while so you can see just the the breadth of ridiculousness that the Silver Age contained because right. otherwise you are you're not getting the punch to the gut with brass knuckles you're just kind of getting a punch to the gut but this this book is theater of violence as far as you know taking taking what you know and love and really in a very glorious way killing all of it yep i think this is a must read Rodrigo, must read? Uh, absolutely. Matthew, you, this is a must read for you too? Absolutely. Yeah, big time. All right. Read it now. Our, Go read it. And if you haven't yeah, read, read it, read it now before, uh, before DC reboots the entire uh, universe again uh, after Flashpoint. So Stop we'll see it. what happens there. I'm just saying. Hey, everybody, uh, head over to the Majorspoilers.com website. That's where you can find the site. Head over to the Major Spoilers forum. That's where you can join into a lot of discussions. Uh, don't forget to check out Critical Hit of Major Spoilers Dungeons & Dragons podcast. If you have any comments or questions or thoughts about this episode, you can uh, drop us an email at podcast at Majorspoilers.com, or you can call the Major Spoilers hotline. Matthew, that number once more is... 785-727-1939. Unless you're on Earth 2, at which point the number is 555-0123.
And if you'd like to follow us on Twitter, you can find us at Major Spoilers, at Fearsome Critter, and at Mighty King Cobra. All right, everybody, that wraps it up for this episode. Thank you so much for being a part of the show. Next week, we're going to take a look at Capote in Kansas. Why? Because we know that you love comics, and we do too. And we'll talk with you next time. Fat Dick's revision of Superman. I could save a few bucks and stand around and read through the covers of the comics on the stand. But although every other page would be backwards, I suppose, I could still read the evens and the odds. Well, I don't know. Guess I haven't thought this all the way through. Plus, as soon as the comic book store guy knew, they kicked my butt out on the corner. What a major spoiler. What a major spoiler. Way. If I was hulking green or gray, I could just bust through that brick wall, take their comic books away. But then the little meat would deal with all the tanks and bombs and guns. Have you ever tried to read a series with all that going on? Guess I need to rethink this plan. How would I back and board my comics with such huge hands? Guess I already told ya. What a major spoiler. What a major spoiler. Yeah, yeah, yeah. What a major spoiler What a major spoiler It's like a man of iron Might not be surprised to find That I might actually have the heart cold To follow an entire storyline Would I really even need To read upon all those escapades I mean, who needs such distractions When your sister's such a babe But the downside is such a beast Being shot up in a fine Be in the Middle East With a king sign throwing soldier What a major spoiler What a major spoiler Yeah, yeah, yeah what a major spoiler, whoa, 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 what a major spoiler. Major Spoilers is copyright 2011. Aww.